Welcome to the AGA Podcast, where we bring you small talk on big topics from within the world of gastroenterology. Thanks for being with us. Now let's get started. Hello, our lovely listeners. This is Nina Nandy. Today, we have the pleasure and honor to interview Austin Chang. He is the director of bariatric endoscopy at Jefferson and also the head of social media and the founding member and president of the Association for Healthcare Social Media, or AHSM. So, Nina, I am so excited about our conversation with Austin today. He is someone that I am just kind of impressed by. He is young in his career. He's about he's about his early career, shall we say, like mm-hmm. yourself and, and myself. And he really has found a niche for himself and really excels in a in kind of a talented and humorous way at harnessing the power of social media for both direct contact with patients, but also with dissemination of academic work. And I and I find that really kind of amazing, uh, as that's not a skill of mine. <laughs> I think that this is a great topic. It's very interesting. It's thinking forward. He's definitely carved out a very interesting niche. And I'm excited to talk to him about um, how he got into this in the first place, what obstacles he's had to overcome. Were there any judgmental issues in terms of how he would be viewed as a professional and as an academic gastroenterologist? And also, you know, what advice he has for people who want to get into social media and brand themselves in the early career stage. Yeah, no, those are definitely interesting things. So it it is something we have to strategically think about as to how to reach patients and each other and engage in this dialogue, but how to do it in a professional way. And I think that's something that Austin does very well. He does that super well. And through his contributions to AHSM, he actually teaches people how to be professional in the use of social media and how to use that to improve patient education and access. So I think we got the right guy. I had a delight talking with him. I know you did as well. So here is our conversation with Dr. Austin Chang. So how did you get interested in this form of communication? Yeah, so it all started, I've always been interested in social media, first of all, you know, I kind of grew up in this generation where back in the day, I was all over MySpace and Friendster, (laughs) and and then I kind of graduated onto Facebook when that exploded. It was my freshman year when Facebook came out um, in college, so I was introduced to all, you know, sort of like the, the small cohort of colleges at the time, and immediately I was interested in what it had to offer. And, um, and then from there, it was one, one uh, platform to another. And professionally, I started out on Twitter a couple years ago. And this was kind of um, born out of an interest in understanding how, I guess, initially, I wanted to know how patients were receiving medical information through the media, and who exactly was doing the vetting. So I spent some time at ABC News, as part of the medical unit there, trying to learn, you know, how is it that a study that gets published, um, how is it selected and put on the news? You know, when you hear about breaking news or something new, who exactly picks that and, and how is it disseminated? And at the time, they were using Twitter as a medium to um, host uh, Twitter chats. And, um, and that's when I thought, okay, I see that there are, there are some really important people engaging in conversation here. And that's when I started using it um, for my own purposes. And so at the time, I was sort of in my last year of residency, 
um, also starting GI fellowship. And, uh, and I tried to introduce a GI um, division account for my um, division at the time and ran into a lot of red tape. Yep. So then I started um, doing research using social media data, um, in part trying to justify my use of social media. And from there, one thing led to another, and I started getting involved with all the different societies um, in GI and helping the societies out, including AGA, uh, with their social media presences. And, um, and then gradually, I shifted to Instagram and building there and understanding what that platform was like and what healthcare conversation was like on Instagram. And at the time, I kind of caught the wave. You know, I was kind of an early adopter for all of these platforms when it comes to um, medical social media. So it was just after, you know, fashion and fitness influencers sort of um, hit the scene. And we started noticing that there was a movement for like healthcare influencers, as much as I'm not a huge fan of that word, influencer. Now, just out of curiosity, and this question may be like choosing your favorite child, <laughs> but do you have a preferred medium of all of the different platforms? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that sometimes it's kind of what's the favorite flavor of the moment. But um, I would say right now it's TikTok, um, just like probably a lot of other people in the world. Um, and the reason behind that is because the way the platform works, it pushes content out to the general public. So as long as it's engaging and interesting, there's potential for your content to reach people who otherwise wouldn't see it. Whereas um, for other platforms, it's really based on who's following you and who's associated to those accounts mm -hmm. that are following you. And, um, and so it's much more niche and a little bit more, you know, more siloed, which in some ways is a good thing if we look at what Twitter has evolved into. Um, but, uh, but I think, you know, my part of my purpose is really trying to get information out to the general public. And, um, and that's why I like it. So I think, I think you've alluded to two things. There's number one, which is direct access to patients and providing information. And then there's a second component of the social media area, which is dissemination of scholarship and academic work. So the, the first one is, I think, what you're talking about now, which is talking directly to patients. So when you're using TikTok, YouTube, any of those platforms, who are you hoping that your viewers are? Who are you hoping the target audience is? Um, yeah, I, my target audience um, from the get-go has always been the general public. I think that over the years, though, I've noticed that, oh, actually, there's a lot of people who are interested in my content who are colleagues and other health professionals. And, and for that reason, I've catered sort of to others in that way. But at the end of the day, my main motivation is, um, you know, I've always noticed this disconnect. We, in a clinical setting, we expect our patients to remember everything that we're telling them in the clinical setting, but those encounters are so brief. And when they go home, they're bombarded with all this information coming through mainstream media, social media, and, and then we get upset when, you know, treatment plans aren't followed through or there's confusion and, you know, general lack of health literacy. And so I think that this is my way of trying to see what I can do to help that effort. Um, so, you know, I think that I would say my main, um, you know, target audience would be members of the public. And I was wondering what sort of obstacles you've encountered in 
pursuing this relatively newer field of uh, gastroenterology and social media, either obstacles from patients or other colleagues or in terms of professionalism and how you overcame that? Oh my gosh, so many barriers. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, like I'm very fortunate to be working at Jefferson Health because they understand the role that social media has and media in general when it comes to um, how patients obtain their information. Um, but barriers in terms of, you know, colleagues and, um, and you know, patient prof- and professionalism, I think those are things that have definitely been at the forefront in, you know, recent years. Um, every time a new social media platform comes out, there's always this judgment that, you know, we shouldn't be using it for some reason. And, um, and yeah, I think that part of what I also enjoy about TikTok, which a lot of people associate with humor and dancing and, you know, (laughs) professionalism is that I think we also have a responsibility to, um, you know, showcase, like if we, if we want to showcase our personalities to do so and to, um, to make ourselves a little more relatable, I think patients are often afraid to come to the hospital, um, to seek care. They see us as distant and robotic. Mm -hmm. And part of my goal is to show that, you know, we're human beings too. We share the same interests and struggles. Um, and a lot of patients or I, a lot of the followers and people who come across my content will say that, oh, this is actually really helping me be less scared to go to the doctor. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, we have to be very careful about how we're, you know, utilizing, you know, presenting that sort of information in a humorous way, um, because there is a fine line that can be easily crossed. Um, I also think that, you know, we have to be very careful when we're educating not to reveal any patient identifiers. And, you know, that's been an issue over the years as well. And then, you know, once you build a following, there's um, you kind of open yourself up to a lot of criticism and scrutiny. And um, and I've noticed that as well. There's people who will be displeased with what you're putting out there, um, colleagues and members of the public alike. There's always something that people can pick on. Austin, I'm run- wondering if you could dive into the pro- uh, the professional component of that. What is when there is, let's say, criticism from your colleagues or colleagues in GI? What does it focus on? Is it just that you're on these apps? Is it just that it, the the information seems soft? What is it that they're criticizing? I mean, I think in this day and age, there's always something that people can um, be sensitive about or interpret in a certain way that um, that can be, you know, um, that people may perceive as, um, you know, unprofessional or something like that, especially in recent months when we're talking about like a lot of politically charged issues. I think that people will naturally have opinions and opinions that may differ from mine, you know. Fair enough. I, I mean, I will be honest. I have seen, even on things like Doximity, as we've all done more telehealth and everything else, if you look below it, people are ha- physicians and providers are having arguments on Doximity, which I can't believe someone wants to engage with anything on Doximity <laughs> other than using the platform. Even on LinkedIn, I've seen this. Yeah, people it happens like- everywhere. And I think that, you know, I'm very, I've learned over the years, like, I'd rather not be. I'm very non-confrontational, especially like on social media, because some of these 
some of this discourse can come back to hurt you. Um, so I really, at, at some point, you kind of have to gauge whether or not it's worth putting yourself on the line to to engage in that kind of, kind of conversation or if you just disengage. Okay. So bringing it back to the dissemination to the patients, but I'm assuming the vast majority of the public responds positively to information being accessible to them. So for someone that's doing endoscopic bariatric procedures, I would imagine the videos are really helpful for the public to understand what you do, the pros, the cons, as they're making an informed choice. Is that what you're finding in your practice? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's also difficult because on social media, things are uh, an abridged version, right? You can, you're only presenting presenting these sound bites, and um, and ultimately, you know, people will ha- ask a lot of questions, often personal ones, and I think that's a major concern a lot of people have when starting out on social media. Is how do I handle patients asking questions over the internet? And the simple thing is, you just don't, and you just tell patients or you tell people who come with these personal medical questions that I can't answer these questions without fully evaluating you in person because I'd be doing you a disservice with having only part of the story or some of the, some of the results that you are giving me, you know, I don't have the full picture. And, um, but yeah, generally I've gotten a lot of positive um, responses. And again, you know, the way TikTok works for instance, is that it really, um, if something is engaging and people um, are interested in it, it kind of gets pushed to more and more people as long as people continue to express interest in in that piece of content, in that video. And so, um, you know, the videos I've done about uh, endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty or the intragastric balloon have well over, they've garnered over a million views in within days of being put out there. And, um, and you know, to be honest with you, this is more than the views on all the YouTube videos um, about the subject combined. And, um, and so at least I can kind of plant the seed of, you know, putting, um, of at least putting, presenting this type type of information that that's, uh, previously wasn't available to these patients because, you know, often these procedures are not, are not well known. They're not well publicized. Um, and, and that's the reason why I want to put this out there. So have you had patients actually come in and say, you know, I'm interested in this um, endoscopic sleeve gastrectomy and I read about it or I looked at it on your social media and I watched a video. How do the patients react out of curiosity when they come in and then they are not right for the procedure? Are they more disappointed or is it just part of the natural conversation we have as physicians with our patients providing the options and figuring out what's best for them. Yeah, I think it's it's a matter of setting up expectations and, you know, before they come in, um, putting the understanding out there that, you know, we need to evaluate you before uh, determining whether or not it's right for you. And um, and so, you know, patients, I think that they, they understand that that's, that, you know, that's the reason why they have to see me first. Great. So I think that's one very large area of social media and GI and in medicine. The other area that I find very fascinating is the dissemination of scholarship and and, uh, academia and 
papers and whatnot. So could you talk a little bit about how social media is a tool to share new medical knowledge? Because I think that's something that not everyone grasps and is super important for the AGA community that is more academic, not just in clinical practice. Yeah, I think that there are a variety of ways. I would say that most of the academic discussion on social media takes place on Twitter these days. I think that a lot of journals and societies have taken advantage of that finally um, over the past, you know, two or three years. Um, and, uh, and that's really helped a lot because I don't have to wait for the journal to show up in my mailbox to flip through the table of contents to see what's, you know, finally being published. Um, and when there are major updates, especially like I think the pandemic has certainly highlighted this when there are yeah. major updates with COVID, we get them right away um, through social media. Certain colleagues online who, you know, have regular tutorials, they kind of present the information in a way that's kind of broken down um, kind of sometimes in regularly scheduled intervals um, so that you can stay tuned. But if the author is on social media, you can have a discussion easily um, about their publication. And, uh, and yeah, I think that it's really helped in just fostering that real-time discussion and bring colleagues together from all around the world to talk about something. Whereas in, in the past, we didn't have quite a um, easily accessible forum. Um, and likewise, for future endeavors, I think that a lot of these, um, a lot of our colleagues have been able to find each other and network and collaborate as a result. Absolutely. I, and I think just building off of that, Austin, I think one of the beautiful things that social media does is it allows me to support and promote your people doing excellent work that may not get that voice. Yes, absolutely. Could you speak about some of the benefits um, to using social media, what they are for those who are hoping to disseminate their work? I know that you've uh, actually published on this topic as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of disseminating work specifically, I think that we've had several studies look at whether or not there's a potential impact of mm -hmm. publicizing on social media with the number of citations or, um, you know, the impact, I guess, of the, those articles through other metrics. Um, and it seems like there's an association. We obviously have, it's difficult to um, infer causation from these studies, but um, but if anything, like, yeah, having more eyes on the paper and having a discussion around it could potentially have people cite your paper more often and look into, you know, related areas. The timeliness of social media really helps with getting certain information out there, especially if there's, if it's relevant to whatever's happening at the moment. Um, so I think that that's really helped. We've also had done a study on association between social media presence and institutional social media presence mm -hmm. and um, U.S. News and World Report ranking, which I think um, is also helpful. And um, and yeah, I think that that's those are <clears throat> you know it, it's it's really an easy way of getting more eyes on your work, and it's cost you know cost effective too because. There's no, it's free. <laughs> These laptops yeah, no, are free to use. So out of curiosity, Nina and Austin, where do you two read your literature? Are you waiting for the journal to come to your office or home? So I get a lot of emails from the journal. So, you know, like New England okay. Journal or ACG or AGA. And so um, I don't usually wait for the print copy to come to my door. I usually just click on the link and read it online. Um, okay. 
sometimes I'll follow people's um, posts from different, you know, like DDW or something like that. Yeah, a lot of these news briefs from through email because they give, you know, real time updates. But at the same time, if something shows up on my feed, because a lot of people have engaged with it, then naturally, I will also be curious to know why this is so impactful, why everyone is interested in this particular paper. And, you know, certainly there are, we've looked into this as well in the past, looking at um, what types of publications are, um, are put out or publicized more by the journals themselves. And there is different kind of representation out there. And um, and naturally, certain topics that you would think get more attention do, and other things like basic science just don't get as much um, attention. And I mean, this is kind of for obvious reasons. I think that clinically relevant papers um, just get more attention. But uh, but yeah, I think that if something were to show up on my feed and a lot of people have been looking at it and engaging with it, then certainly it will pique my interest. Are you saying there's no hashtag for like toll-like receptors? <laughs> there may be. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that. But this is going to be the controversial part of this piece. <laughs> if there isn't one. Someone should start one. <laughs> I know. This is this is where I'll advertise my GI MedEd hashtag uh, that all of us medical educators are using to try to promote uh, what's being done in GI. I think it's interesting because. So uh, like both of you, I'm not waiting for the journal to hit my doorstep. I want that information now. I want to know if I have to change my clinical practice now. And then I love that every time you click on the link for the paper in the top right corner, and most of them, you can actually see what the social media shares for that article are. You can see the alt metrics and see how widely disseminated this paper is. So it does feel like the journal's and the, org- and the societies are ahead of the game than the institutions. Now, maybe not Jefferson. They got they got you. They brought you in with this title. But it is interesting that they're a little ahead of kind of this other resistance that social media sometimes faces. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and we have to keep in mind, though, that like certain things like all metrics and social media mentions, like I said, may favor certain type of content over others. And, you know, interesting, like, case reports that may not alter anyone's practice, but it's just super interesting. Yeah. You get a lot of social media discourse around it. And, um, but I do think, like, when it comes to an institutional perspective, I think we need to think of better ways. That's part of the reason why, actually, the main reason why I have this role is to try to get more clinicians on social media to be a voice for their own area of expertise, um, because we need more people out there putting out accurate information. Because when you mentioned barriers earlier, I forgot to mention the fact that there's just so much misinformation out there and people oh, yeah. are profiting over, you know, uh, by putting out misinformation or disinformation. I've noticed that you've done a lot of work with um, the healthcare misinformation, and that's one of your platforms to try to educate the public on, you know, what is um, evidence-based, because there, there sure is a lot, especially now. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, that's the role that I have at my institution. Also, you know, with creating this nonprofit professional society, the Association for Healthcare Social Media, mm-hmm. that's really the main reason is that many of us who, you know, I think Twitter at this point for a lot of academicians is pretty self-explanatory. It's it's easier as well because it's all, you know, mostly text-based. Um, but for other platforms, you know, we, there's a lot more nuance to it. 
and um, and it's taken a lot of practice to get there. And so our goal is to help others, um, other health professionals, be able to do so and engage effectively and create an audience. So I think that brings us to the the next topic we wanted to address with you, Austin, which is so Nina and myself. Let's say we're social media intermediates, Nina. We won't say beginners, we'll say intermediates. I have a pretty good Instagram for my cats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think that's just Mick Fluffy's game. I don't think that's your game. So, um, Austin, let's say you have someone at the start of their career or someone that's even in the middle of their career and they're getting ready to start branding themselves or just they want to know what to do to have a positive impact in social media or have a or have a useful social media presence mm-hmm. what would you say they should be doing i think the first step is to understand you know to identify what your purpose is on social media are you there to be an educator are you there who is your target audience are you trying to reach the general public or your colleagues are you there to network like, what is it exactly that you want to achieve? Um, and depending on that, you know, there are certain platforms that may, may be more appropriate than others. You know, some people don't want to even be on social media. And I think that for those people, even just lurking on social media and just reading without actively contributing can be helpful as well, can really help, um, you know, just keep keep you up to date with what's going on out there. And some people might be more comfortable with contributing in text um, rather than on camera or, you know, in photos. And that naturally, you know, makes Twitter maybe a more um, attractive option than like Instagram or TikTok or YouTube. Um, and what are you willing to contribute in terms of your time to all of this? Because it's going to be a huge time sink to be consistent on any of these platforms. So I think that that's the first step because, you um, because you know, I would not recommend just jumping out there and and uh, and being on all platforms at once because it's a lot to juggle. Because it takes some practice with one platform to become efficient at it in order to do it quickly. Um, and uh, and and so that's where I would start. And I would even think about just taking a back seat, seeing what's going on on those platforms, and and seeing who's doing it the way that you uh, like and emulate and even reach out to some of these people and say, you know, I really admire your content. Like, can you, you know, help me with through the process with how you do this? Um, Because for the most part, we're on there because we make ourselves accessible. And a lot of us are very willing to speak to our colleagues about how to do this. So along those lines, who do you look at and who do you think does social media well in our in medicine or in GI in general? and Yeah, uh, you know, it depends on the platform. Again, I think that we all have our strengths. So, you know, when I first started out on Twitter, there were probably less than 10 of us academic GI people on Twitter. And the landscape has tra- changed tremendously and the whole atmosphere has changed. And so some of the people who were very, um, you know, within GI, like we have some of our OGs, you know, we have Dave Rubin, we have, you know, Brendan Spiegel, and, um, you know, these are people who have been on there as long as I have been and even longer. And, um, And then on other platforms, you know, like on Instagram, I really didn't see 
anyone, um, you know, in academic GI there before I was. And so I had to learn from others, you know, outside of our field. And I had the fortune of sort of starting out at a time where other people were also figuring it out. So we kind of helped each other and we helped each other to create what it is today. And I looked up to people who've, you know, certain fields were more active on those platforms than, mm-hmm. than we were. Um, for instance, you can imagine like plastic surgery and dermatology, dermatology were, yeah. were active because it's sort of part of their training even. Yeah, and, absolutely. And the way they use it is a little different than the way I use it. And, and I've crafted my own way. But many, uh, you know, since I've started, I'd say that other topics that are hot topics that um, people gravitate to from the general public, um, like OBGYN, sort of reproductive health, mm-hmm. really is a topic that I think a lot of people are looking for information constantly for. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I kind of look up to some of my colleagues there. And, you know, even when I look at YouTube, there are very few people who do it well. And sometimes, you know, YouTube is tricky because it's video platform. It can be, um, it can take a lot of work. So even the very prominent doctors on there, like Dr. Mike or Mama Dr. Jones. So Dr. Mike is a family medicine physician and uh, Mama Dr. Jones is an OBGYN doctor. And they've, you know, I think have been able to build um, huge audiences and do it in an entertaining way without compromising the integrity of the information they're putting out there. And some of them have like some of these um, people have entire teams behind them helping them out. So don't be fooled by, you know, what's out there, but at least you can look at what they're doing and see, okay, this is kind of what, what works for them. And maybe you can um, adopt your own, you know, put your own spin on it. Are there, are there, celebrities or influencers that you look to and say they have social media game? Well, it's interesting. I think on Instagram initially, I was very kind of pleasantly surprised at how many people were engaging with the New England Journal of Medicine account. I think Hmm. their their content has shifted over the years. But um, when they first started out, again, we kind of have to evolve based on like what people are interested in and how what's working. Yeah. But celebrity-wise, yeah, I think that um, it's interesting. On certain platforms like TikTok, I think there was a lot of resistance from celebrities initially to get on the platform. But I've seen how it's really helped certain celebrities um, expand their own careers. You know, And this definitely is not necessarily what we should be doing as medical professionals. But I'm just impressed at how like someone like Jason Derulo, who wasn't really active or like I think, you know, had, had sort of had their peak in their career, have been able to ride like an entire like new wave, you know, and they've become like such a huge presence on, on TikTok. When I see, I think there, when, when I look at the Kardashians of the world, I think a lot of people think, oh, this is superficial and this is not, you know, this is kind of meaningless. But very early on for me, I thought that, you know, they've been able to engage, you know, an audience of you know, over a hundred million people like that takes work and that takes that there's something behind that there. And, um, and so I think that there's to me that they've really been able to captivate an audience and there's something there that we could use in medicine because clearly we're not doing a good enough job at trying to reach that big of an audience. 
first off, I think it's hilarious that Jason Derulo is definitely going to come for you after this. <laughs> I, and this is a compliment to him, I should say, because I think that he's done a great job. <laughs> he's done a great job after the decline of his career. So if we're going to argue that Cats was the decline in Jason Derulo's career, I'm sure he'd side with you. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay, so Austin, as, as we kind of wind down, um, are there concrete steps that you would give someone first as they start their social media professional identity? Mm-hmm. I would say, again, identify your audience and what the appropriate platform is to start on. Okay. And then from there, we have to always keep in mind that social media has to be social. So simply putting information out there without engaging with people who are commenting on your content or with other people on the platform just simply isn't going to work. So um, things that are viral that get, that go viral often are not, they don't go viral on their own. It's um, often very calculated and um, and there have been campaigns that we've come together as a group of health professionals that we've put out there in a way that, you know, we kind of help it to go viral because we put it all out at the same time. We want to really raise awareness about something. And so we try to really um, promote it in a very concerted effort. Um, so, yeah, I think that communicating with other people is very important, especially at the beginning of um, starting out. And Again, I think that why it's um, easier to communicate with one another as health professionals is because we can see eye to eye on certain things. And then once you have a, a more a bigger audience, then you know that's when members of the general public may be noticing you a little more, and um, and that's when you can kind of maybe gear your content um, more to them. And always, I think in this day and age. Uh, in real life, you know, social media is kind of an extension of real life. So if you want to promote yourself in real life and say that, hey, remember, I'm on social media, you can find me on these platforms, you know, by all means, like, do that as well. Okay. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, Austin, before I give you the ability to promote where people can find you, of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I can't let that one hang and then not come back to it for yeah. you. <laughs> so part of the goal of our podcast here is to help professional development of younger GIs. So you are in the early part of your career. Mm-hmm. You've had great success in doing something you love and merging it with GI when, when you sit in front of people that are in med school, residency, trainees, early career people, what's the best advice you ever got to follow through with the career you want? Ooh. I think as cliche as it sounds, <clears throat> I think it it's exactly kind of what you already said, but it's to be authentic in terms of what, interests you and don't try to force it capitalize on those interests. You know, I've been able to carve out this niche in some ways because it's an interest of mine that really wasn't there before. Um, and, but I've stuck to it and, you know, I think many, many times along the way, people have said, this is such a joke. What, what a waste of time 
to be on social media. And that certainly was the case when I started out on Twitter. You know, people were making fun of me for spending so much time on Twitter. And some, you know, not making fun of me, like in, you know, to be serious, but I think that they were just like curious and hesitant about like, what was this that you're spending all your time on? (laughs) And um, when I was in fellowship, you know, by the end of my fellowship, with the support of some of my colleagues um, there, by the end of the, the, my three years there, I would say half of the entire division was on social media at that point. And it sort of has become a pre like a requisite for um, fellows going through the program to get themselves on social media um, because it's, we've seen that benefit of, you know, with me and with others there um, that it can really help with networking and, and collaboration. Um, so yeah, be authentic and, um, and true to what your interests are. Don't try to force it. And, um, and, you know, sometimes those opportunities where no one else has done it before are, is like where the opportunities are, you know, and, um, and you can, if, if no one's doing it, that's why that's where you can, you know, kind of carve out your own niche. Um, but you know, this is an evolution for me too. Well, I am happy to lift you up and tell you that from the outside, it looks like a success. I don't mean you're all the way there. You can't retire just yet. No, (laughs) and I don't plan to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Austin, where can people follow you? Where can they engage with you on social media? You can find me at Austin Chang, MD, A-U-S-T-I-N-C-H-I-A-N-G-M-D on all platforms, really. Um, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, basically everywhere. And I'm very easily accessible. You know, you can DM me on any of these platforms and I'm always happy to help out and, you know, sit down and have a conversation about this. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the AGA podcast. To reach us, please email us at agapodcast at gastro.org or follow us on Twitter at MJWitsonMD, at NinaNandyMD, and at CSCMD. Podcast production done by Resonant Recordings. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening and have a good one.